0: Probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. Projection. If
1: intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact.
0: Welcome to the Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me this week is... Uh, I'm Mark
1: from DC Cinematic Minute Podcast.
0: Awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, hopefully listeners will have already uh, checked out your podcast. Um, I mentioned a a couple weeks back from now that uh, uh, I was on the show and got to talk about some Batman v Superman, some... John Corbin slash non John Corbin and some Jimmy Olsen stuff, so that was fun. <laughs>
1: some Jimmy Olsen slash not Jimmy Olsen stuff. Right, <laughs>
0: it's up for debate. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, before we get into this uh, specific minute, I do want to ask, kind of, um, your experience with with the thing. So, what um you know, do you remember the first time you saw the movie, or does it have? Is it a movie that's had a lot of impact on you?
1: The, it definitely has had a lot of impact, but I can't pinpoint exactly when I saw it. I know I was young. And my father is a huge fan of this film and just horror films in general. So I was kind of like thrown into horror films, even if I didn't want to see them as a kid. And this was one of those films that had a a big impact on me. But you know, I, I ended up loving this film. And there's still films like The Blob, the 80s one that I refuse to watch again <laughs> um and i think there's just a huge difference between uh films like that one and then this one because this one i felt i felt like had i don't know some classiness to it like just some it was just you know the more i watch it the more i realize it's just good filmmaking in general like as a whole piece and i have a huge disdain for films or uh, horror films really that are just about Feeding someone's guilty pleasure for like horror or like or gore rather, I'm sorry. um So like sometimes Eli Roth films get like get me really pissed off, and sometimes definitely like the Final Destination films, but films like this are just yeah. There's like some bit of gore in it, but like it's a pretty rock solid film in general, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean that's I I, I definitely have the same the same uh, feelings about it that. You know, it's a movie that I really, really enjoyed before I started this podcast, but just doing this has mm-hmm. made me appreciate the, just the craft of it, the, you know, from the cinematography to the sound, to the the script and the acting, you know, there's, there's really not any kind of piece of it that, uh, that stands out as, you know, being dated or problematic or anything like that. It's, I, I really kind of love every, every piece of it. So I, I totally agree.
1: Yeah. And my, my, uh... My father, he saw this film, you know, when it came out, he even saw uh, Who Goes There back uh, when he was growing up. My dad's super old. He's born in like 48. So, but, you know, listening to your podcast is when I realized how much people didn't like this film when it first came out. And, you know, when it came out, my dad liked it, you know, just right out the gate. He was like. Yeah, good films. He still watches it, but <laughs> he he watches it for the laughs. He he enjoys all of it. For he gets a good laugh out of the whole film. So he he enjoys it in a different way than I do. But yeah, he, for the most part, he enjoyed it back in the '80s. So it's rather weird to hear all the bad reviews that came out that I never heard of.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. Well, your dad's got good taste then, for sure. <laughs> it was among the minority. I mean, it's funny if you look back at like. Pick, they had, you know, they had a big kind of to do when they had the premiere of the movie, and they had like Elvira was there, and people came like dressed up as monsters for for like a costume contest and stuff, and it looked awesome. But I guess those people that came on the first day were like the only people that came to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it yeah, it was just, I don't know. This movie came out; a little it was a little ahead of its time. I think was one of the big things. But, um, but yeah. So um, yeah, so let's dig into this minute. So we uh, just passed the hour mark last week, so we're on minute sixty-one today. Um, mm-hmm. So we are talking about the minute that starts with uh, Gary, who t- uh, turns around to turn his gun on the group of everybody who's standing behind him, and then ends a uh, minute later with a um, a very dark night shot of Outpost Thirty-One.
1: It's a it's a, it's actually a, uh, I wrote down that it's pretty beautiful that last shot with those blue lights that they put in, I don't know if it's color corrected or anything, but I was like, those are pretty lights.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't think it is color corrected. I um, They actually used uh, their lights from um, airports from like landing strips because they wanted to uh, Dean Cundy, the cinematographer was looking for something to really like contrast the flares, the like orange of the flares. And mm. it's, it's that mm-hmm. kind of that orange and teal thing that, you know, you always hear people talk about. Yeah. But yeah, it's it, uh, that shot is pretty beautiful. You're right. It's, and it's, I love that you see a lot of these kind of establishing shots, which is kind of funny because the movie essentially takes place all in the same location, but the establishing shots really kind of push the the timeline for it, I guess. And that, that one in particular is like so much darker than the last one we saw, which I guess was that one was kind of around dawn or, or dusk. But yeah, this one's just like pure black with just like this, these blue little kind of outlines of the base in the, in the foreground.
1: Yeah. And it really helps like sell that it's, cold in a weird way like those blue lights
0: oh definitely yeah it definitely looks cold and it just looks so isolated like the base is so small in the frame and it's like the frame is like 85 percent just black like there's nothing else there (laughs) yeah exactly but yeah at the beginning of this minute is when uh gary kind of um windows has just put the gun down so gary kind of turns back and it's it's interesting because it's like we've had a minute or two where the tensions are getting like really really high and they're you know everybody's arguing and accusing everybody else and Gary kind of has this like moment of um, I don't know it's it's a little bit of humanity coming through I guess because he's he gives up his gun even, even though he kind of accuses Copper one last time <laughs> he's like you know I don't know about Copper but I didn't do it but then he you know he says everybody would be more comfortable if he gave up his gun so it's like finally after after a few minutes of like things getting being really tense and ramping up really really quickly we get kind of a a breathing moment where cooler heads prevail
1: yeah i feel like this minute right here is when like everyone is finally on the same page with like what kind of situation they're in like this is like what did i write down i wrote down like at this point like the entire outpost is like aware and like The suspense is like finally, I guess their suspense has kicked in. Like everyone's now on full alert. Like it starts here almost.
0: Yeah. And it's almost like they, they understand that like no matter what they do, they, at this point, they don't have a way to prove whether anybody is or isn't a a human. So they Mm -hmm. don't have, you know, there's not really an argument to stand on. Like they've been, fighting with each other for the past few minutes. But I think maybe they're starting to realize like, this is not going to help anybody because we don't have anything to go on. There's no, there's no evidence at this point. We got to wait for a, there to be a new test.
1: Yeah. Cause I feel like, what was it like a couple minutes ago? They, they just locked up Blair, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, then they're standing outside his, his little outpost thing and child is like, if I was one of them, how would you know it was, I wasn't me. And it's like, a little too calm. And now it's more like, all right, if, it, if I'm it, how do you know? And it's like, at this point now, it is more of a sense of urgency. It's not just a casual question. It's like, okay, no, seriously, how would you know? And now that's what we're getting in this minute. Which, I can't really blame Gary with two R's over here, but <laughs> it's like... You know, if some guy is running down the hallway to go get a rifle because he thinks either you or some other guy, like, 50% chance that Mm -hmm. you might get shot by this guy, you know, windows grabbing the rifle. Like, of course, if I have a gun on me, you know, I got to stand my ground real quick. So I can't really blame him too much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, and he's he was certainly under a lot of uh, suspicion, you know, a minute or two ago as well. So, yeah, I, I totally get his reaction. So it's actually pretty... You know, it's a credit to his character that he's able to kind of, you know, calm himself down and and, and give the gun away. And I, I like that we get that kind of close-up uh, insert where he's setting the gun down, where it's almost like he, he's having a hard time letting go of it. Like, he kind of lingers on it a little bit, which I, I thought was kind of a nice touch. I didn't really notice that before.
1: Yeah, most people wouldn't do that.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> So Gary Gary is one of the I think most of the characters in this movie have like at least one kind of hero moment where they do they try and do the right thing and maybe this is this is Gary's. You know, Blair Blair has tried to save everybody by wrecking the radio, you know, depending on how you look at that that scene and you know, everybody has kind of that little moment and, and maybe this is just his.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I definitely like I said, um, I don't know if I said it on air or off air, but I I watched the movie again last night and Totally forgot, like, who was it and who wasn't the thing yet. So, I don't know if you know, I mean, uh, judging by how many times you've seen the film, do you know uh, for certain, you know, throughout the film, like, who is it at this point, who isn't?
0: Well, it's there's some things that you can kind of track, but a lot, like, a lot of the major ones, like, just based on who we know is it later, like, we know Norris and Palmer both are, you can kind of make some assumptions. I mean, you know Blair is at some point. Um, so maybe at this point in the movie, Blair's been kind of been infected, but isn't totally taken over. And that's, that's kind of how I read his kind of crazy reaction when he's destroying the radios, because if he wasn't infected at all, he probably could have done it quietly without anybody noticing, but you know, it's it's almost like he's fighting himself. And then we know Palmer is, and, and to me it makes the most sense for Palmer to have been the one to have gotten uh, infected by the dog on that in that great shot near the beginning, where the uh, the dog walks into that room and all you see is the shadow and you never know who it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I always kind of read that as Palmer just because we know it's him later. And Norris, I still, I you know, I don't think there's really an obvious place where he gets infected. You can make an argument that he's the the shadow on the wall too for sure. So um, yeah, it's definitely not an easy thing to to track. I think that's on purpose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Um... Throughout the film, I kept thinking Knowles was the thing because he always shows up with, like, the Long Johns or something. And he's always, I don't know, he's always at the right place at the right time almost too much. And, like, throughout the film, he's, like, side by side with Norris. And so the entire time I was like, okay, those two are both it. Which I don't know if there could be multiple, but I don't really know the- Yeah anatomy of the thing and how it works, but I mean, what's the point of assimilating if you can only be one thing, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think it takes over multiple, multiple, multiple people at once. And then, yeah, by the end of the movie, it seems like it maybe just kind of combines those all together to survive into, like, one gross-looking creature. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's definitely that's one of the fun things to do. That's one of the reasons I thought this would be a really great movie to do this kind of format with, because there is so much kind of you know it's vague enough that there could be a lot of speculation and kind of fan theories and stuff like that so it's always kind of fun to to dig into that but it is interesting that you mentioned being suspicious of Niles, cuz that was i just talked with uh with Alex last week about how Niles is like the only person that nobody in the movie ever accuses for For whatever reason, and I think it's just because he's quiet most of the time, like he doesn't talk during most of the scenes when they're like you know fighting amongst each other he's he's always kind of you know a little bit in the in the background, but yeah, that might that, make him more suspicious, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, to me, that's what it was last night. It was like he was always there to like deliver things that like when he's like with McCready and then he was always like I said, side by side with Norris, and then he's like, Yo, quit leaving your clothes in the kitchen is like it's <laughs> like I think this guy is is setting us up or something. So immediately has suspicions about him, but you know, we'll we'll get there to see whether or not he is a thing. <laughs> um but I think at this point they just make you think it's either Gary or uh Copper.
0: Yeah. I think, right? Yeah, those yeah. are the two that and maybe Clark because of his connection with the dogs. Those are like the the three that they're that everybody's most suspicious of, but it's it's a thing where, you know, it it changes like by the second like whoever did the last suspicious thing like mm-hmm. uh, you know, so but um it is uh it is interesting that, you know, this minute we get kind of the, the moment where everybody is kind of trying to decide who should be in charge if they don't know who they can trust. So it's kind of it's almost like a Lord of the Flies kind of thing to me uh, where they're kind of creating this little society within the, the base. And so here's where we get, you know, Gary offers up the gun and, and first offers it to Norris. And I think this is a really interesting bit uh, looking at it from that, you know, perspective of trying to figure out who's been infected at this point, because Norris... Turns it down, and um, you know to that makes it seem like it's obvious that he's not because you know the thing would obviously want to be in charge and have the gun and, and be in power. But I thought it was interesting that Charles Hallahan, who played Norris, he said that he always thought that meant that he was partially that he was infected, but it hadn't been taken over yet, and that was that was the real Norris being able to kind of fight back against it was saying that you know he didn't want to be in charge.
1: Well, I was you know later on in the film we kind of get this line that it was like. McCready says about the thing where it's like, it wants to hide. And Mm -hmm. so maybe declining that leadership role is like its way of like, I don't want attention. Just, you know, pass it off to someone else. I'm just trying to blend in here, man. You know, I wrote down that Lord of the Flies uh, (laughs) in, in my notes as well. So it was funny when you said that. I was like, wait a minute. Didn't I write that down? And I was like, yeah, to me, that's where I was getting at with this. This minute feels very Lord of the Flies where, you know, the, Ranks are being broken, and you know anarchy and chaos is starting to uh, take over this outpost.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. That's definitely what what I thought. I was, you know, it's like the the guy who's presumably supposed to be in charge gives up his kind of gives up his authority, and and nobody knows who to give it to. So it it, it is kind of a tense moment too. But I do want to mention too with with Norris, I thought it was interesting that in the script there's you know he in the movie he just says uh i'm sorry fellas i'm not up to it but in the script they add this line where he says um uh, after he says that he rubs his chest and says i haven't been feeling well lately
1: (laughs) yeah so i think we can (laughs) confirm
0: (laughs) yeah which like really kind of it's a little bit that's too much i'm glad they didn't use that line because there's a couple times in the movie where you do see him kind of rub his chest and you don't get any Mm -hmm. kind of explanation as to why that is and and you know it obviously it pays off in a like gigantic way later but i'm I'm glad they didn't include that it seems kind of like hitting you over the head with with there's something wrong with him like you know nobody would be like oh he's just sick like that has nothing to do with this like you know alien infection that's spreading throughout the camp
1: yeah like if you told me that i'd be like uh you you, you what <laughs> why don't you go stand over there yeah you know? <laughs> yeah definitely do you want to talk about Childs trying to claim leadership?
0: Yes, definitely. That's a so that's a great bit. So yeah, so immediately when Norris turns it down, Childs is like, "I'll take it." Like <laughs> he's he's like all too ready to do it, and and that uh you know causes Clark to jump in and you know hold his knife to him and say like, "Hell, you are." So it's like immediately after cooler heads prevail for like ten seconds, like they immediately kind of jump back into it.
1: But but why, though? Like, why? Why is Clark so against Childs being in a leadership role?
0: My my thought on it is that because I was thinking about that, too. And my only guess is really because in the last couple minutes, Childs has been really like aggressive against Clark, like accusing him like he was when they first got into the room with the blood. He he asked, where's Clark? And Clark's come right here. And then, um, and then obviously when Clark kind of, you know, starts joining in the fight like everybody else is, he, you know, Childs is the one who like tries to tackle him and take him down immediately. So there's like, there is this tension between them. And I, I mentioned this on, on a couple episodes, but I don't think they've come out yet, that those two, the actors, Keith David and Richard Mazer too, had decided in rehearsals that the two of their characters would be kind of at odds with each other because they're like the two most physically imposing men at the camp too so they kind of built that into their characters a little bit as well
1: okay okay yeah i didn't know if it was i didn't know if it was like uh i don't want a, a black person in charge <laughs> i don't know if it was like one of those like i don't know what you know i didn't know if that was it if he clark was just like i don't know where i'm going with this but discriminating, discriminating i don't know
0: yeah, I'm, I mean, I, th- I think it's possible to read that into it. Um, you know, it's it's not like that. That's not there at all.
1: Oh, I mean, I I don't think that. I just was putting it out there. It just seemed so like, I don't know, I, if someone else was probably objecting to it instead of Clark. It just seemed that to have Clark be the one declining just seems so from out of nowhere that I was like, well, why? Why was he so angry? He seems like such a just a nice guy who's just upset about his dogs, you know?
0: (laughs) That's true. Yeah. His Clark is always kind of a strange character to me too, because yeah, he starts as this very kind of calm, you know, collected, but kind of isolated. Like he's kind of the, you know, in a a group of outcasts, he's like the ultimate outcast that he he kind of identifies more with the dogs than the people. But yeah. um, Yeah. Towards this part of the movie, he definitely gets a little bit more aggressive, which partly is maybe just to, you know, make you even more suspicious of him too.
1: He probably just gets more and more angry because he's so scared. Like maybe he's got like some sort of like Asperger's or something, <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, that wouldn't be like terribly out of character for for the kind of person he is. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I did. I had a little piece of trivia about that moment when he he like kind of jumps at Childs with the knife. That apparently, I don't know if it's in the one that the the take that they ended up using in the movie, but at some point when they were filming this, he like cut his hand up when he's holding the knife. Um, and had to go to the hospital and get stitches, and then they had to like put makeup over the over the wound for him to keep filming stuff because he they they didn't have time to like to wait or anything. So, yeah, I do knowing that now, I can't help but watch the scene and be like, he is kind of handling that knife like pretty cavalierly. <laughs> like and the, yeah. and the way he closes it is kind of weird. It's like it kind of seems to me like he had not held a knife before. <laughs> So I don't know if that if that had anything to do with it, but I thought that was kind of a, an interesting little bit of trivia. Well,
1: it's not going to be the last time he holds a knife, right? And I I did wrote down that like you know he hands the knife to McCready, and I wrote down I was like you know it's the it's not the last time he's going to try and hand a knife to McCready, but in a different way.
0: Oh, nice foreshadowing there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So the end of this kind of scene they um basically you know as clark is kind of at a standoff with with childs uh macready you know decides to take over because he says uh childs is maybe a little too temperamental so he he has takes the gun from gary and takes uh clark's knife so at this point nobody has any weapons but you know it's something that i never thought about until i was uh doing the minutes leading right up to this that there are all those guns in that in that shelf back there that windows was trying to get to and nobody ever tries to get those guns again, and I'm not entirely sure why those like totally disappear from the plot after this point.
1: Yeah, I, um, well, yeah, I was kind of thinking that. I was like, "There's a lot of guns there, you know." Just and again, I'm, I'm not really sure what they're supposed to be doing here in the outpost, but there's a lot of guns. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, their their existence at all is kind of hard to justify, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, but um, yeah, we we talked about last week a little bit that um, maybe they're you know nobody says it out loud, but maybe part of the reason they kind of leave Malone is that it seems like um they would maybe realize at this point that a gun wouldn't really do that much against the thing like if they come across it it's really just a you know a measure to protect themselves from like mob rule if somebody accuses them um Mm -hmm. so yeah it's not a particularly probably a very effective weapon against the monster they're trying to to hunt anyway so maybe that's why they kind of leave them alone but i'm I'm surprised that there's not like a scene of them like burning the guns or like burying them outside so nobody can get them or something because it is odd that they just never come back
1: yeah yeah the only note that I have left for this minute was I thought it was really important just to note kind of Windows is like 180 in behavior as opposed to like how he's kind of started in the film. Cause now he's kind of, I feel like this is the, what he is now is like the Windows we kind of remember throughout the film. But it's like when you go back and think about how he used to be with like, he's like, man, I'm just going to hang out by the radio and wear sunglasses <laughs> indoors and like, He was just a cool guy. And then now he's like, he's literally like, I I don't know if it's because he's, he's, uh, been inflicted with an actual physical wound or something and like seen his own kind of mortality flash before his eyes. Mm -hmm. But it's like, he's changed as a character.
0: Yeah, that's opinion. that's definitely true. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're right. Like from this point on, Windows is definitely kind of like the I don't want to say like the coward, but he is always kind of like, you know, cowering in the corner and and kind of quiet. And yeah, at the beginning of the movie, he is kind of like the cool dude, like reading his magazine and and you know, he, you know, he's always wearing his sunglasses. Like you know, obviously that's where yeah. his name comes from. Like yeah, he's a totally yeah. different. And, and I guess that kind of you know you could say that kind of represents the like complete tonal shift that the movie has taken since that point too, that there's like, at this point, like most of that hope is gone. Like, like the blood has drained out of his face by this point.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I I feel like, you know, there's always like that, there's some movie out there. It's like, once a person sees their own blood, they're like, their entire life changes. They're like, Oh my God, I I could (laughs) die here. (laughs) And I'm stuck here.
0: Yeah, doubly so in in this situation. Like they're, I think they're all starting to realize like what a bad circumstance they're all stuck in. So yeah, yeah that that works absolutely. very well. Cool. Yeah, I think that was pretty much all I had as well. Um, anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap this one up? Uh, no, I think I'm good for this one. Cool. So I think that'll wrap up uh, minute sixty one. But in the meantime, you can always go to thethingminute.com dot com for. Full show notes on every episode, including links to anything we talked about and, you know, movies we referenced or anything like that. But uh, while you're checking that out, just make sure to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to StarWarsMinute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out.